Welcome to the Five Star Podcast, where we talk about all things Toronto real estate. Episode eighteen. How's it going, everybody? Good, 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 good. good, good hot good. day. Hot day. <laughs> you know what's hot? All these guys in this room. There's yeah. okay. This is the first time where all six of us hot are here. Guys. Oh, true. And six. we have a guest here, uh, Mr. Andy. How you doing? Good. How you guys doing? Good, good, good. Why don't you do a quick intro on yourself? Sure. Yeah. My name's uh, Andy Tran and uh, I uh, run a company called Sweet Editions. So basically what we do is focus on GTA real estate and helping folks uh, do design and permits for their properties, mostly investors, but homeowners as well, owner occupiers. And really the, uh, the focus is to help folks uh, convert uh, single family homes into multi-units in a legal manner. So we've been doing that for about eight years now, eight, nine years. Uh, backgrounds in architecture, so it kind of lends itself very well to some of the things that we're doing right now. And uh, with the policy changes, with real estate, the economy, where things are going, it seems like it's making a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are actually utilizing these new policies to, you know, make better use of the, pro- uh, of the properties. For sure. Yeah. So this topic today, we're talking about uh, laneway housing, garden suites. So it's great of you to come here and give us some insight because you do this. For a living, uh, whereas we just you know try to sell it. So you you are the, <laughs> definitely the expert here. Um, so before we get into it, like why do you think laneway housing and garden suites are so important in Toronto? Well, right now, especially well, like we we keep talking about the population growth and you know lo- the shortage of housing, right? And especially with um, you know this is actually a pretty impar- important topic because with Doug Ford him implementing that new clause or that new law in where every property can actually have up to three units, right? And I think in Toronto, we're, you can actually go up to five. Is that right? I, don't I think maybe Andy, you can in certain us. zones, right? You can get up to five. Yeah. Five so units. their policy is, uh, so just to kind of back up on that uh, bill that you, that you uh, mentioned, Bill 23. So that's a provincial mandate across every uh, municipality in Ontario to allow uh, a minimum of three. Now, exactly how that city is going to implement it, they leave it up to the cities to say, you know, can it be three within the existing house? Do you build it? you know, with a garden suite, but the idea is that they need to allow a minimum of three with at least one garden suite. Toronto has taken, there's a, a few cities that have taken uh, a step beyond that. So Toronto is one of them where they do have what's called a multiplex policy now that's basically been in place for several months and they allow you to convert a single family home to four plus potentially a laneway or a garden suite. So you add that up and it's going to be five. Five, man. That's wow. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot. That's and great. what is the difference between a laneway and a garden suite? Yeah, great question. So a lot of people wonder about that. A lot of times people use them inter- interchangeably. Uh, really, the only difference is like the structure is exactly the same. The only difference is that with a garden suite, it's in a, uh, in a lot that does not have access to an alley or a laneway basically, right? So it could be an interior lot, it could be a corner lot, but there's nothing behind there. Whereas with a laneway, the it's very similar in terms of the bylaws. Uh, however, you can have access directly from the laneway. Whereas with a garden suite, you need to provide access from the front of the house. Mm. Yeah. Because you need a decent sized backyard. To, uh, yeah, I was just to, thinking that too. Right? Yeah, the yeah. lot size has got to be pretty yeah, huge. What's, yeah. what's the minimum lot size that you have? You, you know what? You guys would be surprised. Like uh, we've made made it work on some pretty small lots, especially here in Toronto. Uh, they are very progressive and, you know, things are very tight in a lot of properties, especially, you know, in the downtown area. I do a lot of work on the East end mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, you'd be surprised. Like, uh, 
like house model. Yeah, yeah semi semi detached lots. Sometimes like you know, twenty feet, 20, 20, foot? 20, feet twenty by like One. eighty, twenty by a hundred. Wow, like you can tight. you can that's make tight. it you can make it work. Although like you know you sometimes you have to kind of work within the bylaws. Uh, and if you can't meet the bylaws, you might have to get a minor variance. Yeah. Right. Mm, right. So yeah, I mean uh, it, it's. You got to get creative, basically. So, so even under under twenty? Yeah, yeah. There's I haven't worked on anything under twenty, but I've seen seen other projects where they've made like these laneway houses or, or garden suites as low as like fifteen feet wide. Oh, wow! Right? Wow! Like, you know, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, it's just the nature of it, right? Toronto being such a high density city, yeah. and basically, you know, every square inch counts. Yeah, that's the trade off. You sure. you get smaller yeah. space, but you're living in the city, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The so time's supposed to be sh- cut down a little bit. So if someone was going to pursue this, what is the easiest entry for them? What is the lowest cost? Would that be a basement suite or what what are the options? Yeah, so in terms of sort of lowest hanging fruit, I would say would be to convert your basement, right? As we as you all know, yeah. there's there's already a lot of basement apartments already done, a lot of them are illegal. But it's just kind of like the natural progression of a single family home. You have, let's say, a basement that's underutilized. Maybe they're using it for storage. Maybe they're using it for a rec room. And the first thing they're going to do is, hey, if money's tight and I need a mortgage helper or, you know, I want to have an extra unit for a family member or nanny, whatever it is, this structure is already there. You just have to separate it, put in a kitchen, put in a bathroom. Now, if you want to make it legal, then you have to go through the permits and you have to I was just going to ask you that. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, so what's the difference between a legal versus a, an illegal suite? I'll, I'll ask you guys. What do you think is the difference? <laughs> if, I, if I had to ask you if there was one thing that you had to, just one item that you had to say that would make it a legal or an illegal unit, what I would that be? I think fire escape. Fire, fire separation. So egress, second, egress. A, second, a second exit out from yeah, your unit. Egress. Okay, so second so egress. egress. I heard fire, fire separation. separation. Anything yeah. else? Yeah. Uh, window sizes? Yeah. Okay, so those are those are all things that are required and are all very important, and all of them put together are the things that you need to ensure, uh, you need to implement to ensure that it's legal. Now, if there's one thing that determines whether it's legal or illegal, okay, a little bit of a trick question. It's documentation. Oh, oh, okay. it's, it's no, paid. that's it. That's yeah, it? permits. Permit. Permit. Like you need to have. If somebody says that, uh, you know, we have a legal unit here. The only way to prove that 100% is mm. if there's paperwork. Yeah. Right? Because if, let's say, you know, a builder or a renovator said, you know, this is legal. Well, maybe they did everything that you guys mentioned. Maybe they did the fire separation. Maybe they did the, the, the egress and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff, which is important. But they didn't go through the permit process. And if they didn't go through the permit process and, let's say, a neighbor complains and the city files a report, knocks on the door, you potentially you would have to shut it down. Right? So that's that's why we focus on legal, especially because we work with a lot of investors mm-hmm. where they may not be owner occupiers, yeah. right? So they're not keeping an eye on things, right? And then you have grandma across the street that's lived there for 60 years, <laughs> right? She's like, there's all these people coming in and out. She calls the city. Mm-hmm. Now, in my experience, it's less of an issue in Toronto because it's just so common mm-hmm. and people are kind of used to it. But in a lot of the other smaller towns that we work with, not towns, but a lot of the smaller cities like Hamilton and Kitchener, it is it is more of an issue where they do get shut down if it's not done legally, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, we think for the additional cost, no matter what, whether you do it legal or illegal, your renovation cost, if you want it to be safe, it's going to be the same. So for the additional several thousand dollars, a lot of people want to make sure that they do it properly, right? And then they can ensure that down the road when they're selling the property, they don't have to hide anything. You know, everything's done legal. Here's all the paperwork. Yeah. 
So the reason why I mentioned this is that like, you know, when you guys are, are looking at properties for your clients and then people, you know, the listing agents, they say it's legal, then you just want to make sure that you have paperwork. The proper documentation. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So how, how long does that process take from making it illegal or completing it to yeah. making it legal? With yeah, so there's there's a few steps to it, right? So once we typically, you know, we schedule a, a date to visit the site, take measurements, take photos, collect all the data, we go back to the office, work on a, on a conceptual design. And through that process, we finalize our design, finalize the permits. You know, that could be anywhere between several weeks to, you know, a month or two, depending on depending on the, the client and, and kind of the, the communication. And after that, it's it's up to the city, but the city has a mandate to get back to us within, uh, in Toronto anyways, 10 days. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they are delayed. So they'll get back to us and they will typically ask us for some revisions and changes. Then we would get it back to them. But the whole process, I would say, from the time we visit the site to the time we get permits, typically we're finding in the 10 to 12 week mark. Oh, so that's not now. too bad. It's not that bad. And yeah. how much is the application fee? And the permits and uh, it's, all that. So depending on the municipality, for a second suite, ranges anywhere between, you know, 500 to to $1,000, right? So it's not bad. Yeah. And essentially all the development fees have been eliminated for this type of stuff. Nice. Mm. So yeah, that's, that's really encouraging uh, smaller investors and homeowners to kind of go through the process. Whereas in the past, when you were to actually duplex a property, the, the development charges would be very high, mm -hmm. right? So that would discourage a lot of homeowners from going through the legal route. Mm. Was that was that new? Like, I mean, you were talking about the DC charges and uh, whatnot. Was like be, that cost being eliminated? Is that something new? Well, for for second units or duplexes, yeah. as people call them, no, that's been that's been eliminated for a long time. Okay, but the more recently is the um, is the three units and and the four units, three, the third yeah. and fourth. Yeah, right. So I can talk about that if you guys want that multiplex policy and yes. why it makes yeah. so much sense. Please uh, do. If you guys want to, please, yeah, please. absolutely, elaborate, yeah. So the, the cool thing about that multiplex policy is that it's, it's, as we mentioned, it's for up to four units plus the one garden suite or laneway house, which is five units in total. Mm -hmm. is, now, that, is that, sorry, is that a proper like R1 zoning or is that like, yeah, not, not to be, get too technical, sorry. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> no, I think it's important like for, for your audience to be aware of it, right? So there are several zones in Toronto. They don't actually separate like R1, R2. A lot of other municipalities do. Okay. So in Toronto, it's R, RD for residential detached, RS for semi, mm -hmm. RT for townhouse, RM for multi-residential. Uh, multi and then there's R, which is a, gener uh, a general high density area. So if you're down on, I don't know, let's say Ossington and Bloor, or you're Danforth and, and Pape, like that's typically the R zone, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that was always traditionally higher density. Now this multiplex policy that has been implemented uh, or, or passed council uh, just a few months ago, uh, that, is actually across the board. So that's everywhere within Toronto proper, like the six the six boroughs, right? Or the six six cities. So it it covers detached, it covers semi-detached and end unit townhomes. Hmm. If you can fit it. Only end unit <laughs> townhomes. Yeah, because because you can't walk well you could do you could do you could do multiple units within the the townhouse like an interior townhouse you could do mm. multiple you just can't do a garden suite because mm. then you yeah. can't yeah, you can't no legally access. access makes sense right so the the interesting thing about this new policy is that there's a bunch of things that actually make it it, it makes a lot of sense because you're 
potentially exempt from development charges for four units, right? In the past, it would have been like four hundred thousand dollars, something yeah. like that, if you were to convert a single family to, to and that that would basically just kill the project. Yeah, like yeah. numbers so wouldn't work, right? Too expensive. And so the uh, and then there's also a deferral for the garden suite or laneway house on the development charge if you don't sever the property within I think I can't remember the the time frame something like twenty years, then you're not required to pay that development charge. Now you can't legally sever it anyways. Mm -hmm. So effectively, it's there's no development charges. So that's one aspect. Uh, parking has been removed. So that was always a point of contention for us in the past whenever we did projects is that. We didn't have the necessary parking or the parking space was too small. We would have to go apply for a minor variance. And then the neighbors would basically come out and <laughs> stop the project, right? right? Or like, you know, with even though they're not, um, you know, even though uh, it, it's it's not related to parking, they're, they're going to use that as kind of like you know, an excuse to stop the project because they don't like the density or they don't mm. like the multiple okay. units, right? So, so essentially the development charges uh, are removed for four units. Um, you can also potentially get commercial loans for five units and up, right? Because anything four units and under is considered, uh, is considered a residential. Okay. And so that's, that's another big aspect of it. So CMHC uh, financing potentially. So a lot of reasons make this kind of five unit very appealing. So four units plus the garden suite is allowed. You don't Correct. need, it's not, it's not commercial because usually commercial is considered five or more, right? Yeah. So from the loan perspective, that would be considered a commercial. Mm -hmm. So if you're going out getting financing, you can potentially get a commercial loan on it because it's five units. So they're looking more at the asset rather mm -hmm. than the actual owner and their ability to service it. Ah. Right. It depends on the lender, but for the most part, five units and up, it's considered commercial and then four and, and under is considered residential where. So for let's start with number one uh basements how much does uh legal conversion cost on average yeah that's uh that's always the spot that's all the numbers here yeah that's always the, <laughs> that's, that's always sense. the golden yeah. question right yeah. and uh yeah. you know i'll start off by saying it depends but um at the same uh, time I can, to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i can say that with uh with uh you know some of my past clients and their experience is that uh for a typical basement, let's say a bungalow, a lot of the ones that we work with, you know, you have 800 to 1,000 square foot footprint. Mm -hmm. um, there, it's coming in anywhere between 125 to $150 per square foot, roughly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if it's a thousand square feet, then you're looking at 125 to 150,000 mm -hmm. pre-tax. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's sort of a sliding scale between, yeah. you know, how much you need to do with, let's say, utilities and. Um, you know, plumbing, anything additional would mm -hmm. be probably on the higher on, on the 150 side. Whereas mm -hmm. if the, you know, you don't have to do as much as that, it might be closer to the 125. And that's more of a, uh, you know, mid range, durable finish mm -hmm. rental grade, right? Mm -hmm. Not lowest quality, but mm -hmm. also not like luxury, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of what our typical clientele would, would so, so with investors uh, or even homeowners, uh, it seems like this this with all these changes, it could be a, a good revenue stream once you convert uh, the basement or even the laneway house. Um, because most of the, the homeowners, um, they may or may not have a, a mortgage or maybe a small mortgage. They can refinance their home and convert these uh, as, as, as dwellings mm -hmm. um, and in increase the cash flow because it's better 
you know, uh, collecting the rent because mm-hmm. the rental market's doing quite well, as opposed to just leaving it in the house or, uh, or or at the bank, which is not you know generating any cash flow. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like uh, you know, as the market has kind of slowed down the past year or so because of interest rates, we all know that. Uh, I've had a lot of clients where you know they haven't made any additional acquisitions, but they've taken their property and say, you know what, I have a certain amount of equity here. I have the space, I have a basement, I have a backyard. Um, you know, I, I don't want to acquire another property. I don't want to be over leveraged, but I do have the capital and I do have the space available. Mm-hmm. So now's the time that, you know, we're actually still pretty busy with, with that stuff. Um, and, uh, and then their idea is exactly what you, what you mentioned is that, you know, they want to be able to get that cash flow, right? So they're utilizing their basement, they're utilizing their backyard to build this thing. It's going to maybe be a 10, 15 year payoff. You know, a lot of them, they're access, accessing uh, home equity. You know, let's say it gets paid off in 10, 15 years. They're going to hold it long term. After that, it just becomes a capital asset that just keeps giving them rent, every, uh, right. you know, monthly. And there's no additional expenses, right? Other than like maintenance. Oh, uh, I thought of a question. Is, is there any uh, particular difference between a uh, laneway house and a coach house? Because they, they kind of throw around the term interchangeably. Yeah. Is it same thing? Yeah, I would say a coach house would be, uh, you can probably call that a ADU or a garden suite, whereas uh, laneway specifically has a laneway access, right? So there's many different names, coach mm-hmm. house, carriage house, mm-hmm, like, yeah. yeah Con- it's confusing <laughs> for a lot of consumers, even for us realtors too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like they're some- essentially the same. Like if you say like a lane laneway versus like a garden suite. It's- when you see it, you'll know what it is. But like when they describe it, it's going to be like confusing. Yeah. yeah, the technical, the most accurate technical term would be ADU, which is accessory dwelling unit, mm. or detached accessory dwelling unit. That's kind of the standard that a lot of the municipalities use, as as well as throughout the U.S. Because it's it's actually blowing up quite a bit in the U.S. as well now. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I see this as an opportunity for um, you know professionals like yourselves to be very familiar with the process, be familiar with how this can benefit from a financial perspective. Mm-hmm. Right, the ADUs, the multi units, and that can really give professionals a competitive advantage uh, when they're, you know, finding a property for their client to say, you know, not only this house is this house going to be suitable for you, but it can also become an income generator. Or mm-hmm. if you have a large multi generational family and right. you all want to be close but still have that separation, yeah, this have is your a great, kids in great option. Great, yeah, huh. yeah. yeah, like mm-hmm. in laws or something like that. Yeah. So, Andy, you're well traveled. Who's leading away? Which country for ADUs? You sound so like like CNN, man. <laughs> well, it's uh, I know Andy spends time in Asia, the U.S., and of course Canada. So it's interesting to see who's leading the way. Larry King here. Yeah, okay. you're pretty good. So just because I have the hard hitting questions. I mean, so so Andy, where where have you traveled? Like mostly. Yeah, let's start there first, yeah. man. <laughs> um, Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> yeah, you guys are yeah. not giving me the T-ball questions. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, Andy. Well, well, I've got, we don't have to talk about traveling here. Let's 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 just talk about. Uh, so, have you have you explored the idea of using um, prefab homes, uh, prefab you know, container homes, or that kind of material for additions? 
ADUs. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot um, of tiny homes I see then. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Is that? <laughs> I've explored that for many years and mm -hmm. uh, I'm still exploring it. I believe it's the future, but I still okay. feel like we're early for that. I right think now. so. Mm -hmm. It's still so new. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's still like prefab and, uh, you know, manufactured homes. They've been around for decades, like literally like, mm -hmm. you know, 50, Whoa. 60, 70 years, right? It's never been able to reach um, parity with on-site building in terms of costs. Oh, See, really? That, that, the, right. the, the, but that's the, the misconception, right? You're buying prefab, it should be cheaper. It's, well, it's, it's like a Lego, right? It's less laborsome to put together. You're yeah. just dropping it on a foundation. Yeah. And then you're building from there, from the inside out. Yeah, so I'll explain why, I, in my opinion, it's not mature yet. But I do feel that we're going to be headed there very soon because of a lot of changes in the industry, a lot yeah. of uh, more automation, stuff, yeah. Yeah. more Crazy. robotics, more AI. Mm -hmm. And also one thing that a lot of people don't talk about is because of policy changes, it will encourage more locality. So for example, if I wanted to build one right now in Toronto, there's only a very limited number of prefab builders in Ontario. Oh, yeah. And a lot of them, you know, they'll ship it from Quebec. But with the policy changing, you're going to see more specialized people that are going to be doing it more local. There's going to be more factories that are going to be building it. So one of the big costs from pre prefab factory built is transportation and local expertise to be mm -hmm. able to assemble it all together. Yeah. And so you're going to see with the, with the demand because of policy changes and the requirement for more density that it's going to be more competitive and they're going to be able to bring the cost down. And with things like automation and robotics, that's really going to help reduce the cost as well in the coming years and, and decade, in my opinion, right? Uh, the reason why it hasn't is because of those reasons that I mentioned is, is that like facility costs, because a lot of people think, hey, you know what? We build cars in factories. Why can't we build houses? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of costs associated with a building a house that is not factored in when you're, when you're talking about it, right? Like you're thinking facility costs, like a lot of overhead, yeah. right? Like, you know, all types of things. Whereas on a site, you know, that's basically your factory on a site. So over, you know, the past century of home building, it's been very, it's, it's, it's been a lot more cost effective to do it on site. Uh, but again, I think that's going to change. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting. We're talking to a lot of people, um, and it's not as simple as just building it and then just kind of, you know, dropping it with a crane. That's only 50% of it, like that built. The other part is how do you do a proper foundation? How do you connect the services and utilities? That's actually a very high cost and very uh, labor intensive as well, right? So uh, that's the other side of it. Oh, but you know what? Like I heard that... Um a lot of places in the U.S. they don't even have basements. It's a very Canadian thing mm -hmm. to have foundation basements. Um, I have some friends like in in Texas. They're like, we just have the main floor and the second floor, and there's just they just plop it on. Yeah, it's true. Like there's less basements in the U.S., especially in the southern portion, yeah. because of the weather, weather basically, yeah. right? So you have to have uh, uh, we we you need frost protection. So when you have a basement, the frost only goes down four feet. Yeah. So if your basement is like eight feet or seven feet the frost doesn't get underneath. But if you don't have a proper, at least a four foot foundation, water can get underneath freezes and it causes the house to heave. Right? Uh, so that's, that's, okay. the that's the primary reason why we have most, we don't necessarily have to have it, but we still need like a four foot foundation. So a lot of the garden suites that we work on, we don't have basements, but we still need to have a proper foundation. Okay. So even though there's no basement, it's it's still you pretty still substantial. Yeah, yeah. So you still yeah. Like, yeah. Houses though, like I guess crawl space. So some, some houses have crawl space, right? So that would be about four feet. 
deep or deeper, you're saying? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But I want to answer Woody's question about like, forget, Thank the, you. forget the travel Thank stuff. You. Because he, had, he, had, he had actually had a very serious question that I wanted to address, right? Forget the travel thing. But where have we seen it the most? And like when you talk about places like in Asia and Europe, like those cities have been around for like centuries. And they built them very organically, kind of like how we built our downtowns in North America, you know, like two, three, four hundred years ago when I guess the Europeans first settled is that it was very it was very organic. It was very based on kind of uh, wealth that was built incrementally over time, whereas in the past, I would say, you know, since post-war, the development pattern has been very focused on suburban sprawl. And so like since like the 1940s, 1950s, you see this suburban expansion in places like all over Canada and US. Uh, you have the same development pattern in Australia. I haven't been there, but I understand that their zoning policies are the same. So that was a time of extreme abundant wealth in the 50s when oil was super cheap, right? But now we know energy is, is an issue. We know that all the countries are pretty much broke. And densification, you know, one of the reasons really is to the cities, they need to create revenue. So if you already have existing infrastructure of roads, sewers, utilities, why not just build more on that? So, you know, to answer your questions, where have we seen these? We don't really see them in places like Asia and Europe because they don't have that same development pattern. Although some places they are kind of like spreading out and doing the suburban experiment. But here in North America, it's we're starting to see that uh, urban planners recognize the importance of reducing the sprawl and increasing density for, you know, basically for financial stability. Mm. Hmm. Okay. But it's it's very challenging, right? Because you have like a lot of neighbors and nimbyism, which is like not in my backyard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what nimby was like two weeks ago. <laughs> we know. We know. So, so Canada and the US, because we have this urban sprawl, yep. we are leading it because we, we have a problem to solve. Exactly, yeah. There is a problem to solve, and uh, a lot. Some cities are more progressive. So within North America, I would say that uh, uh, the West Coast has led the charge. Uh, so BC, um, Alberta, California, Washington, Oregon, like those places have put policies like in the past 10, 15 years to allow these types of things. And out in the East, being more conservative, we're starting to see it. So that's why Ontario was late, but because with a city like Toronto being, you know the highest density in Canada being the most multicultural and highest priced housing market. It's, it's the natural progression that we are kind of like on the next, you know, uh, the next on path to kind of follow these policies as well. And we're still very early and which is why I encourage, you know, all professionals, whether you're a realtor, whether you're a contractor, mortgage professional, architect, designer, if you can specialize in this, I think that the opportunities are just, Huge. Yeah, it, it definitely makes sense to do, especially in Toronto, where we have this housing crisis. We definitely need more more housing. The only concern would be um, because you are well, the city is not charging development fees, so it, which is good. It entices people to start doing this, but the city's not really getting revenue from it. From it, so I guess the argument is okay. Is who's going to pay for this? Are they going to raise the uh, the property taxes? You know, so I think that was one concern, but I still think the way we're doing it now is good. But um, well, time will tell, right? So, yeah, that's a tough question. It's very and, tough. Yeah, and 
you know, I, I think the idea is that if you allow people to build it and have less hurdles, because even without development charges, people aren't building, like you don't see these popping up everywhere because yeah. it's very expensive to build. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's, there's a lot of hurdles, right? So development yeah. fees is just one hurdle. You still have, like right now, right? You have rates being so high. It's a lot, it's hard for you to get the money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have, you know, you have to acquire the property, right? Who can afford a property in Toronto, right? <laughs> so there's so many hurdles already to add another, like to basically remove one really just makes it a little bit easier, but not a whole lot easier. Yeah, and the I idea totally is that if you build more density over time, you have more people there, there's more economic activity. So it's more of a long-term financial play yeah. than kind of instantly getting that, you know, the development fees, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, the city's, the city's books, their assets and liabilities is not just kind of in one area, it's across the whole city. It's, yeah, so, it's so they're making they're making more money in the high density areas, right? If you look at their revenue, it's all in the high density downtown areas, right? And they're, it's a liability in all the suburbs because they're costing so much replacing the, 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 you know, repairing the roads and things like that, whereas they're getting so much more revenue from property taxes and rent in all the high density areas. So the idea, I think, long term is property taxes mm-hmm. and economic growth in those high density areas rather than development fees to offset that. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm, right? I'm actually curious. So when you mentioned about all these hurdles, is there any room for any type of foreign money? Uh, because, you know, right now they, they've actually stopped foreign buyers mm-hmm. from buying, uh, holding properties. But what if local uh, homeowners uh, or even companies do, you know, joint ventures with foreign money and it would be a win-win situation because the foreign money would they're not they're they're not owning it but they may invest into a company where they're able to to create these dwellings and then split the profits with the with the homeowners yeah that, that yes that it makes, makes sense. a lot of sense yeah, i'm not a legal nice. expert and i don't <laughs> want to advocate anything that's not legal but i think <laughs> it makes a lot of sense if if we don't have the funding available and if it makes sense that this becomes a product that is highly valuable, you know, to a, uh, you know, to a potential buyer or to, you know, uh, renters, right? We have so many renters that mm-hmm. need a place, yeah. um, but we need the capital to uh, to build it. I think it makes a lot of sense to have foreign investment and maybe, yeah, that might be an option, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, joint ventures. Um, there's a lot of different models too. There's like co-ownership models now where, you know, multiple parties would pull funds together and uh, acquire a property and then do the legal split. And then, you know, they may live in one unit. So it effectively becomes like a small mm-hmm. apartment building yeah. or a small condo, they own a portion. Uh, so that at least they can get, you know, equity building r- rather than just renting, right? So that's, this is something like this is very good for for that as well. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> just, just thinking outside the box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. you, you were telling us for a basement conversion, you're looking between 100 to 125. What 125 about? to 150 is kind of what I heard last from the contractor. Okay, yeah. okay. so 125 to 150. Yeah. What about a laneway housing or garden suite? Yeah, that's tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did a video not too long ago on the garden suite that I built in Brantford, Ontario. And uh, that came, that was a 630 square foot, uh, two bedroom garden suite. And uh, I managed it myself and it actually came uh, close, almost close to 300,000 to build. Mm. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. Yeah. So for 600 square feet though. Yeah. Yeah. $500 a square foot ish. Yeah. So, 
it's it's not cheap for yeah. sure. Um, putting in a structure and a foundation is definitely not the low hanging fruit, I would say. Right. Mm -hmm. But it makes a lot of sense in Toronto mm -hmm. because of the land value. Yeah, that's right? true. So if you have a plot of land, uh, you know, you have a lot and you have a large backyard, you just kind of have to look at the numbers and and see where it makes sense. So I'll give you another example. So I had a client that I helped her with her main house. It was actually in, um, uh, I think, Seatonville. You know where Seatonville is? Around mm -hmm. kind of Koreatown, Annex area. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's within walking distance to, um, I think, Christie Station, like a five, 10 minute walk to Christie Station. So she had this uh, single family, large single family home. I helped her with the conversion to three units. And she also built a laneway house at the same time. Oh, wow. mm. It was a three bedroom laneway house. Wow. And I think the cost was, it, it came in around 500,000. It was two stories, three bedrooms. And I think she's renting it out for around $4,500 a month. Oof. So, you know, when you look at it, I mean, that's a big cost for that rent. Maybe it, it makes sense. Maybe it doesn't um, in the short term. But long term, I think it makes a lot of sense because you just kind of have to look at for five hundred thousand dollars, what else can I get in that area? Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Nothing. You can't get I, a condo anymore. Yeah, I, I so. checked. Yeah. I actually checked. So <laughs> in that corner where Honest Ed's used yep. to be, yeah, yeah. the yep. uh, a studio apartment. So not even doesn't even have one bedroom. A studio apartment was going for six fifty. Mm -hmm. yeah. This was about a year ago yep. when I when we were looking into this, right? So she got a three bedroom house for five hundred thousand. The the magic is in the fact that she had this free land there right? mm -hmm. that was in her backyard. Even this uh, the studio rent can can. Get no, forty five hundred. No way. It's like it's like two thousand. It's a, it's a three bedroom. Like, yeah, yeah you unit, probably get yeah. like twenty two hundred, twenty three hundred dollars for yeah. rent. Yeah. So you're getting Versus double 45. the rent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Double the rent and the purchasing price is lower. Um, actually, my, I have a question about intensification. Like you're because you're talking about adding more units to one house and you're having a lot more residents into, you know, a specific area. Because several years back, I was hearing about you know problems that people were living on Charles. Like Charles Street East, mm -hmm. like the buildings there because they're building Casa One, Casa, Casa Two, Casa Three, etc. Right. And they were having water pressure issues in that specific in those in those specific buildings. Mm -hmm. So building like multiple units like that and creating more dense density, right? What, and not really improving the development charges or not really charging more development charges. Have you seen things like that, like that occur where water pressure is lower or I don't know, services are going to be impacted? Yeah, that's that's definitely a concern. And, you know, we don't have to make any kind of uh, arbitrary statements on whether or not it's going to be supported because a lot of times when we go in for these uh, applications and when we have to go through a minor variance and we have to go to the, the Committee of Adjustments and say we want to add these units, there's always going to be a neighbor that's going to come out and say that, <laughs> like, how are you going to like handle all these services? Like we can't handle it. And, mm -hmm. and then that's very simple way to, we have a very simple way to answer. It's like, it's not up to you. It's not up to me. It's up to the engineer. Here's the chart. Here's the chart. And based on this area, this is what it can support. Mm -hmm. And based on our four units, this is what the requirements are going to be based on the number of plumbing fixtures, number of fixture units. And because of that, we will need a one inch or one and a quarter inch. And is that area going to support it? Yes or no? So it's a very technical answer whether yeah. or not it can support it, right? Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, it is a concern, but in the vast majority of cases, especially in the more suburban locations, it's not an issue right. at all because right. there's so much infrastructure that was there, like, you know, for just very few housing units, right? Mm -hmm. uh, specifically something like water, it's actually pretty simple. You just have to increase the size of the pipe and you'll yeah. get more water. Makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. It was just it was just the thing that I was thinking about because 
if we're not increasing the development charges or if we're not doing anything with development mm -hmm. charges, then, you know, right now maybe kind of early, right? Because not a lot of people are doing them yet. Mm -hmm. But as it increases, I think that may be something that we, or I guess the city needs to really consider, right? Or the, the province. Yeah. A lot of this is actually, uh, a lot of the expenses for the infrastructure upgrades are actually borne by the developer. Okay. So if I have to increase the size of the pipe going to the house because I have more units now, I have to pay for the the portion, uh, potentially the legal, uh, the the public portion and the private portion. Oh, yeah, okay. right. And it it might be oh, several thousand dollars. Okay. So um, and then if I have to increase my service, let's say from two hundred amps to four hundred amps, Toronto Hydro might say I can only, we can only support two hundred amps here. If you want four hundred, you have to pay for the increase of the transformer. Oh, right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is borne by the developer already. Um, and it's not necessarily so the certain the things that I yeah. guess okay. people who are building these multi-unit or increasing the the unit sizes of their their homes something to consider right in the future yeah yeah it's an added ex added expense but it's, I think it's worth it yeah so for uh, for somebody who's considering uh, a conversion either basement or garden suite lane rehousing what's what's the biggest challenges uh, that they've faced besides for the money part. I think navigating the city, mm -hmm. uh, it's tricky, right? Yeah. Because like city have their own language in terms of what things need to be dealt with. So that's what we do for our clients is yeah. that, you know, we will deal with that for them. So if we have to speak to the, you know, the planning department or the building department, and then it goes to forestry because there's a tree that needs to be, you know, altered or removed, or if there's uh, you know, a parking issue or an engineering issue, those are things that, uh, you know, we, can help, but a lot of people that do it themselves, you know, you know, obviously going through that process, you're going to learn a lot, but it is challenging because, you know, the cities, you know, it, it's, they, they have a certain type of language that they use and mm -hmm. it's very difficult for just your average homeowner. Right. So I think that the municipalities, they can do a better job of making the information more accessible in terms of being understandable by a layman rather than mm -hmm. like overly technical. So that's probably one of the biggest yeah. challenges is, is just kind of navigating that process with the city. I was uh, doing research and I I was on your Instagram, sweet underscore additions, S-U-I-T-E. <laughs> um, Thanks. My pleasure. S-W-E-E-T. <laughs> that's that's an actual thought. sweet edibles. That's an actual website. <laughs> that, that, that's something Rich looks at at nighttime when he's by himself. He goes yeah. There is a city of Toronto document you mentioned that helps an individual that's interested in making uh, a conversion, right? Uh, actually, I think the one document that you're referring to is from uh, from the province. Oh, from the province. Yeah, adding okay. a second unit. So it, yeah. it's like 30 pages and it highlights like with diagrams what the requirements mm. are. So it's actually good for people, you know, when they're house hunting and just kind of checking, you know, using that as a checklist to say, you know, is this going to have the proper room size, the proper egress windows. Mm -hmm. We also have a checklist on our website that people can download for free as well. How about uh, sweeteditions.com? <laughs> Spelled S U I T E. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, how about school enrollments? Uh, this shouldn't be a huge impact for, for this type of development, but because uh, we often hear uh, like new condos when they when they're when they're uh, built yeah. uh, certain schools yeah. and districts they won't accept uh kids mm -hmm. because of the, from, from the intensity like intensification right yeah so the interesting thing about Toronto and Ryerson actually did a, a detailed report on this is that you have net 
increase in population, but it's all along the high density corridors with all the condo developments mm -hmm. where you see that growth. And you know, schools and any other public amenities like community centers and things like that, they're overcrowded because those areas are already overcrowded. Mm -hmm. However, when you get into the neighborhoods zones, which is kind of the single family neighborhoods, detached, semi-detached townhouses, there's actually a population decline Yes, that hmm. you may not be aware of. So there's a there's a big issue with empty bedrooms because you have a lot of these places that, mm -hmm. you know, throughout kind of like the latter part of the 20th century, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s, you had these people that were raising families there, and now they're empty nesters, mm -hmm. and they have these big houses, and they don't want to leave because of the house value. Families cannot get into that neighborhood because of you know the the accessibility from the cost. And there's actually a reduction in school populations in mm. those areas, mm. which is why we, closures. which is why we, yeah, leading to closures. So on the one hand, you have these high density areas that are just overcrowded, you know, and then they're building these portables and everything. Right. And mm. then on the other hand, you have schools that are actually like under enrolled to the point of closure. So there's Ryerson That's actually a really has a good report. Point. Yeah. Ryerson yeah. actually has a report actually outlining all of this. Perfect example is my neighborhood. So I live in, in Scarborough and Agent Court, and it's all like single family houses in, in the suburbs. Um, you know, I advocate for it. I don't mind when, like, you know, there's a lot of Asian families there where, you know, they will rent out rooms to individual people who, you know, they don't, they can't afford a house on mm -hmm. their own, mm -hmm. but, you know, they don't have kids. And in my daughter's school, it's actually under enrolled. Like there's only like 120 people in, in wow. her school, you okay. know, in a public school that's like can support probably like five, 600 kids. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. Right. And then they don't have enough teachers. And then like, you know, the, the one teacher's doing like grade four, five, and six all at once. Wow. It's kinda, yeah. that's, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So mm -hmm. this is why it just makes perfect sense for those suburban areas to have that more, you know, have that density, whether it's two units, three units, garden suite, makes a lot of sense. Mm, interesting. Actually, I had a question for you because, um, you know, it, it just leads to the question, right? Because when you make all these modifications to a home, right, from a realtor's perspective, you know, we want to know what the value of the home mm -hmm. is going to be, yep. right? So, you know, based on your experience with your clients who have done all these modifications, have they gone back and done an appraisal and see what that property is actually worth? Or yeah. has it increased, like, I don't know how much it would increase value by? Sure. Yeah, I would still say the vast majority of our clients have done really just the duplex. And they, they would, you know, do the duplex and then go and refinance it, get that higher value, extract equity, and maybe purchase another property. Mm -hmm. Now we're seeing that, but they may not take that equity to purchase another property. They may take that equity to build like a garden suite or mm -hmm. like do a third unit, sort of take a phased approach, mm -hmm. right? So um, it, it it depends. For the for the two units, they've been around for like a decade now in terms of the yeah. legality of it. Yeah. So banks pretty much recognize them. They see the value, you know, they, 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 take into consideration the the rental income as part of their underwriting. So they do increase the value there. Garden suites, not it's still very new and there's not a lot of comparables. So we don't have as much data on that yet. I would say in the next few years, we're going to start seeing more. Yeah, I was going to say, because you you were looking up laneway housing in Toronto. Yeah, I was just thinking So th there's quite a bit, but mm -hmm. uh, I see very, very few garden suites. So yeah, maybe I, just, I, couldn't, find, I couldn't find a garden suite. On the I think the first one just got built like, a couple of weeks ago, like first finished, one, first oh, one oh, got oh, completed because oh, okay. it's only been around a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. we had we actually have a few that are in 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 progress, um, and I think one just got, but there's like a hundred permits open, so oh, you're gonna start yeah. seeing them. Um, but what about yeah. uh, like mailing address? So if you do have a laneway house, if you have a thing, mm -hmm. like you have your main house, which is like let's say, you know, we all live in, mm -hmm. and then we have a tenant 
Where did the mail go to? G to you? for garden. Is it A B C D? Yeah. So some cities yeah. will will have an address system where they might call, like they may add an R for rear unit or something oh, okay. like that. Like right. that's what Hamilton does. They have yeah, like yeah. a R. Uh, to, I, I don't to think differentiate, a, it doesn't yeah. all get clumped up to one mailbox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. but for I think for Toronto, I don't know if they have anything for garden suites yet. But for um, uh, it seems like a good system though. Like yeah. at least yeah. put a letter beside it so that yeah. it doesn't. A lot of times it's just up to the homeowner to say unit one, unit two, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. And then they'll have a mailbox there. Yeah. Now, if it's done legally and you have a community mailbox, you can actually call Canada Post to say, oh, "Here's okay. my permit. I got. I have this done legally." And then they will. They may give you an extra mailbox at the at the community. But oh, if it's just the mailbox oh, on the house, then you would just do like unit one, unit just two, split it up. And then they would mm-hmm. you would just ask the um, you know your tenants when they give out their address, just put unit one, unit okay. two there, right? Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. Once in a while, it gets mail gets mixed up. It's but not like a big deal. yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of how you deal with it. And then also garbage, kind of as a related topic, mm-hmm. is the, as well. So they have their own bins. Have. They have their own bins. They have Depend that depends on the city. Oh, yeah. just kind of curious. Going on what Richard was saying. Um, you know what you, you know when you work with these clients. So obviously when you do an addition, um, any kind of renovation, if they do it through paperwork, right, the paper trail, clearly impact triggers an, assess, an assessment, right? So what have you seen in terms of property taxes going up after your renovations for some of your clients? Yeah, I've right? had that question, uh, you know, for the past like eight, nine years since <laughs> I've been doing right. this. And, and I would say that for the most part, um, it hasn't been a big impact. Okay. Uh, in terms of, we all know that the impact assessments are much lower than the actual yeah, market. Mm-hmm. Assessed value is not right. Yeah, and, it's, different, um, it's different from market value. Yeah. yeah, I think I think the idea is that I, there have been um, incidences where I've heard where impact would contact the city to find out like number of units, mm-hmm. but there's actually not a lot of good communication and. A lot of times, MPAC just assumes it's a single-family home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've heard of some place, some cases where MPAC did advise, like were advised that this is a multiple unit, and then they would appraise it higher. Mm-hmm. But even mm-hmm. at that, it's actually not true market value. Mm-hmm. So is it a concern for taxes, property taxes going forward? I would say expect it to be, because that's one of the ways that the city needs more revenue, right? Is mm-hmm. increased property taxes. So higher density means more units, more property yeah. taxes. Mm-hmm. But is that a reason not to do it? it I would say it's still worth it to do it. It's still worth it because you're getting yeah. the rent. Yeah. I mean, rental rates are ridiculous right yeah. now. Yeah. Even yeah. rental value. Because you're not paying like a separate unit. Like, for example, if you buy like a studio or one bedroom, you're paying yeah. property tax for that alone. Mm-hmm. Here, exactly. you're just adding on to yours. Well, you're, it's all going to be like ca- positive cash flow. Essentially. Oh, exactly. It's going to add a lot more cash yeah. flow to your pocket. Tons, yeah. uh, because I was looking at the, the laneway homes and they're... Like literally, like any other unit, like twenty three hundred and up. No, no difference. No, in no. The I was house. just researching. I was just yeah. researching this. Okay. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, but no. I was I was looking it up just for our purpose here, and um, and it was like literally the cheapest one I found yeah. was twenty three hundred dollars, and okay. that was about. Wait, can you actually buy one? You can't. You can't buy it by you, itself because it's uh, not. You it's can't. It's not. It's not part of a property. Right? Yeah. You're not allowed to sell. Well, not yet. Maybe the uh, yeah. maybe one day. Maybe Who knows? yeah. There's uh there's U.S. Uh, actually, in uh, in BC, there you can you can potentially like separate into a condo. Mm. Oh. Same in oh. uh, same in Texas as well. In Austin, you can actually separate it into like a homeowners association where Game it's like a condo. Wow. <laughs> so oh, I see those oh, yeah. types of things coming down the pike yeah. in 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 the few years, right? As you know, things become yeah. more and more unaffordable. It's true. But yeah, a lot of them just look like regular houses. Especially yeah. you got those corner mm-hmm. lots. Well, you build them, you're like, wow, this. Is no, beautiful. honestly, some of the photos look really good, man. Oh yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. wow, yeah. these are actually pretty impressive. Because there's some are two stories too. Yeah. They're yeah. like 11, 1200 square feet. They're way better than wow. condos. Do like, you guys know just yeah. value wise, it's so much better. Do you know wow. Lanescape? 
Have you ever yeah, landscape they're a builder, yeah. right? They 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 well, do this stuff. They started doing building, um, but uh, it's run by a guy named Craig, and okay. he has got a couple partners, and yeah. he's an architect, yeah. really good. Like all his designs are amazing. You get you should get him on the show. Okay, um, mm, and okay. Uh, he can talk more about kind of that policy and laneway. We kind of we're we're kind of in the same um, business. But uh, his designs are, are incredible. Like a lot of the ones you've seen online on Toronto Life, a lot of them are, are, are his. Are right? his. Wow. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, landscape. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Probably like lead certified. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> mine are, mine are, they look like sheds, the one I do. You just want to cut costs, right? I'm like, that's fine. Like, yeah. I, I do I do like the way how you, you mentioned as a homeowner, you know, you either build a laneway house or you invest in condos. Investing in another property is the other option, right? But everything's getting so expensive now, yeah. Yeah. With, especially with the cost of borrowing. Mm-hmm. So if you have... Well, getting a mortgage is tough too. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just having it, it, a cheaper option, building it on your own land. Don't worry about development charges. Um, no, I think it's a lot easier too because you don't have to apply for a new mortgage to do this project. You're just drawing equity just to do this, right? Yeah, if you have cash lying around too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it's easier. Well, most people do have some cash if they're considering this. Yeah. Anyways, right? But the well, downside is, you know, it's a lot of work, obviously. You got to like yeah. monitor the... Well, that's project. why you get someone like Andy. Yeah, that's you true. You don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> I, actually, yeah. What's Sweetaditions.com. I think you mentioned this in the video. You guys should check out that other one. It's actually a pretty clean website. What you? It's on you. No, actually, I was gonna ask. I forget if you actually touched on it or not in the beginning, but what's the turnaround time? So from the start to end timeline is it i know you said 10 to 12 weeks for that's just permits permits. yeah Mm -hmm. right what about from like start of consultation to right to completion um i would say a very rough time frame a lot of it depends on you know the size and scope you know your contractor you know how easy to access the site but I think something reasonable would be nine months to a year process right like Like building regular homes yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, building a house, a lot of people will say well, a, year, a, small a year, home, not right? including, you know, the whole approvals thing if it's not, like, yeah. you know, if the it's not. construction mm-hmm. part is way Because laying yeah. a home is like building a house. It's yeah. just smaller. It is, yeah. Right? Well, yeah, when it's talk- more difficult in a lot of cases because of yeah. access. Okay, I've been, I've been mm-hmm. thinking of this one question for, for a while now. So you said that some houses can split up into four units plus the laneway house or the garden suite. Mm-hmm. How big of a house do you need to split your house into four units? Yeah, so this is where, you know, the creativity kicks in depending on the site, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, the bigger the house, the easier it is, right? Like, if you had a giant, you know, 3, mansion, 3,000, 4,000 square foot home in the suburbs, no then it's a lot easier. Yeah. But then when you have a, uh, a 2, two-story 000. home. So I'm actually working on a project right now. It's actually yeah. my own house okay. in, um, in, uh, on the Danforth, okay. where it's a two-story home with a basement. Okay. So the goal is to have three levels plus a basement, yep. so four units in total. Oh, three uh, levels. So you're adding an yeah, additional we're, we're adding, story. Yeah. So right now we just submitted to the city for a, a zoning bylaw review to okay. see if, you know, we are violating any bylaws. And then we have a two car garage in the back that uh, we want to turn into a one bedroom unit. Oh, okay. so, if so we're you're able converting to get the five, that completely. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So if we're able to get the five, then we're, again, we're exempt from development charges. We're potentially eligible for the CMHC financing uh-huh. uh, and no parking requirements. So yeah, we're gonna give that a shot. But you have to build an no. addition. Like, yes. you have to build an additional what eight feet, nine feet. Yeah, something like that. Sorry, the question was uh, how, how big yeah, the so, house was. Yeah, yeah so like it's gonna how be like split up a two-story house, mm-hmm. right? 
Yeah, it gets tricky. Like it, it gets complicated, right? Because you have to create like entrances, you have to make yeah. sure there's proper fire separation. So it's not an easy task and mm -hmm. it's definitely something that, you know, you want to have a- It's not every experience. house that can do it. Yeah, yeah, some houses just doesn't, it doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. like, if I you go to like Markham, Richmond Hill- you'd be, Honestly, you'd be surprised because I have a, a client's home yeah. that I've been helping rent out. Um, it's a fourplex. Oh. And it doesn't, when you look from the outside, nice. it actually looks like a regular home. Like a regular got, detached two-story home. Yeah, it looks like a two-story home. Okay. But they got a unit upstairs. They got a unit in the main level. Um, and then they have a unit in the basement. And okay. then they have an addition in the back of the house. Mm. Oh. So it's it's a legal fourplex. Really? It's, nice. it's so how crazy. big is that, le that additional piece in the back? Uh, it's not that big. Bedroom? It's I would say, you know, I was looking at that unit. I would say it's about 500 Maybe four hundred fifty. So legally, foot. it has to have its own washroom, kitchen. It's got its own kitchen. Windows, it's got its own bathroom, separate entrance, bedroom, living space. Wow! Yeah, yeah. Like, I see a lot of creative units too. Where, where, like, where's that? This is, is a major Mac and Young. No way! Yeah, Richmond Hill. That's right. Okay. Actually, there's there's several houses like that there. It's nice. it's insane. Like if you were to look closely, it's in Crosby. If you want to mm. know? So, so the question like, is, okay. legal? Is legal? Yeah. Yeah. Legal? Yeah. Legal? Yeah. Proper permits. And they have, they have a huge garden suite. They have a huge garden backyard mm -hmm. and yeah. they can probably do an addition too. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but I, I don't think she's going to do anything. Like that. She doesn't live there, right? No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. It's all rented. It's all, it's all, all yeah. rental income. Okay. Yeah. Also so, like garages are, are a, an option as well, whether it's attached or detached. But you so, know what? So even I, attached garages that are one or two, you can do a nice one bedroom, two bedrooms. Mm. I see that as an issue though, if she doesn't live there, cause then she's going to get cap gains on the entire property that she has. If she lives there, at least only, know, only when you sell. Yeah. Well, if I if I had a fourplex, I'd I'd be keeping it forever, revenue generating. Uh, yeah. Do you know what? Honestly, it's a yeah. it's a huge revenue generator for yeah. her. So yeah. It's it's it works for her right now. Yeah. But she's the, retired. But, and she's but when she, if and when she does sell, that becomes a something. Well, I guess that's because it to was a, it was a principal at one point. No, it wasn't. Oh, it was never a principle. Never a principle. It was always going to be good tax anyways. So. Yeah. Okay. I think even if you live in it, if you have a four unit or three unit, yeah. I, I think that there's a threshold in which case CRA would say, well, they, you know you, what? A portion of this is going to be- that portion. Yeah, a portion. Because yeah. if you, let's say you have a basement apartment, I think you're okay for the most part. But if you start having three units, four units, CRA is going to look at that and mm -hmm. say, well, you're this only living 25% of <laughs> it. This rest of it is yeah. business. There's yeah. probably going to be some some additional taxes. Uh, like yeah, you're not going right. to. I don't think you're going to get principal residence exemption on well, the entire the, thing. The thing is, the CRA doesn't know, like. I I don't know how you like when you sell it. Like, what's the category? It's still going to be it's on on impact and whatnot. It's still going to say it's a single detached home. But well, then, actually, no, it says no. three, four separate um, living contained units. That's yeah, like, that's the that's on the impact. So when you legally do it, then you have to change this, not the zoning, but like the description of the home, right? Well, it's going to be on your listing, right? If you have a legal four unit, would you not put that on your listing when you're selling, mm. right? Yeah. Or would so you try to hide of, it? Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't read single family okay. residential. Yeah. It would actually read four, four self -contained, separate contained units. Self-contained units. Yeah, yeah oh, okay. that's exactly okay. it. Okay. Yeah. So we are running on um, up to time now. Do, wow. are, are there any last questions? Any final thoughts? No, I don't have any. Uh, I don't know. How about Andy? Any final comments? No, I think we covered a lot. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on and uh, hopefully we'll see you guys Sweet. doing more of these. How do you spell and, your, uh, your business name again? Uh, <laughs> what do you we'll, we'll link it. We'll link it. We'll link it. Sweetedition.com will, right? will be in the description.
we yeah. also have a, a YouTube channel, so we uh, we put quite a bit of effort putting together some uh, educational videos. So nice. oh, I think I saw one of your videos. You're very well put together. Yeah, yeah. thanks. We have uh, we have a couple of uh, guys that are pretty good with, with oh, editing okay. and stuff like that. So cool. shooting and editing. So and what's the name of the YouTube, YouTube channel? YouTube.com slash sweet editions next time go on the youtubes yeah. Yeah. thanks andy thanks, right, thanks guys appreciate it bye bye